Hello and welcome to the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Alex Kirkland. Sid Lowe is with me. No Kitro today. Sid, we couldn't find a time that both you and Kitro were available today. So as we record, Kitro is on a train. It is uh, very much like uh, what Diego Simeone said yesterday in the press conference, only not like that because it's gone the wrong way. Simeone said yesterday, and I really love this comment because I have no idea what he's trying to say. He said, <laughs> every, every time a door opens... A window opens too. We couldn't get our window and doors to open at the same time. Well, that, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how I, he I does it. I saw that quote. That's just not. That's not true. I, I can. I, I can tell you in my life. I can't tell you how many times I've opened a door, and a window has not simultaneously <laughs> opened. Almost every time, in fact. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> you'd be worried if just by opening your door, your window. Well, maybe. If it, I mean, yeah, you'd be open. questioning the sort of the integrity of your windows, wouldn't you? If sim- yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good one that from Simeone, who every now and then does come out with a brilliant sort of idiom. Uh, that you've never heard before. Sid, it was quite a weekend in, in La Liga, wasn't it? It certainly was. I mean, I think the, for me, the best way of explaining it, obviously, look, it was big at the top as well, but I, I really like that battle at the bottom. And the best way of explaining it, from my point of view, in terms of the, the closeness of that battle at the bottom, is time. And you know how I love to count time, Al. Yes. Um, at five o'clock yesterday, Sevilla were 19th. By 5.45, they were 13th. That's a <laughs> hell of a leap. In, 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 in less time than it takes to play half a match of football. That is fantastic. Um, let's run through the results from match day 25 before talking about some of these games in some more detail. The uh, match day kicked off on Friday uh, with Cadiz 2, Getafe 2. To describe this game as contentious would be an understatement, <laughs> I think, Sid. Enes Unal equalising with a penalty for Getafe. Now, when I tell you that he scored in the 116th minute, you'll think I've made some kind of mistake because you'll be saying, look, there's no extra time it's a league game. It wasn't a cup game. How could he have scored in the 116th minute? Well, he did. Yeah. And it all kicked off and it finished 2-2. Um, Cadiz were not very happy. It's the latest ever goal in La Liga history, which obviously isn't yeah. that entirely surprising, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, anything later than that and you would, you would seriously start to ask some yeah. questions. Saturday began with a 3-1 comeback win for Real Madrid against Espanyol at the Bernabeu. All three of us were there for that. Uh, for that yeah. game, I think. After that, Elche won via the lead one. Uh, Pablo Machin taking the unusual step of tweeting out some stats yeah. from this game, <laughs> including the XG, the expected goals, which I quite enjoyed in a bid to sort of prove that they had deserved to, that Elche had deserved the win, I guess. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, he's been under quite a bit of pressure recently, and obviously they're, they're in a position where they will probably go down. But I was still kind of struck by this, to yeah. say the least. Um, Celta beat Royo 3-0. Uh, Lord Barry Aspas showing Gabri Vega that he's still the main man yeah. uh, in, in, in Vigo. Uh, we'll talk yeah. about that because you've been writing about Celta today, I think. Um, yeah. Valencia won Osasuna nil, a huge result at the bottom of the table. As you mentioned, not the only huge result at the bottom uh, this weekend. Then on Sunday, we had a one-all draw between Mallorca and Real Sociedad. Uh, Mallorca still going well. Uh, Larial in a bit of a slump. Uh, the other big result I was alluding to was Sevilla 2, Almeria 1. Sevilla coming back from going behind in the second minute uh, to get a vital win there. Uh, after that, it was uh, Villarreal 1, Betis 1 in the Kike Setien derby. And the late game on Sunday, uh, you won't believe this, uh, but Barca won 1-0. Another 1-0 <laughs> win for Barca at San Mames. But it, it was a little bit more complicated than that because um, it was really quite tricky. Uh, for large parts of this game for, for Barca. And they were maybe a little bit fortunate in the end to come away with a win from San Mamez. The Monday game, a rare, a rare appearance for Atletico Madrid on a Monday night. They are playing away at Montalivi against Girona. 
And by the way, uh, if you haven't heard, we're now releasing one vintage episode of TSFP Presents every week for free here on the Monday podcast feed. Uh, We started with our Super Seasons series from 2019 uh, when we took a look at classic campaigns from La Liga history. Uh, The first one, out last Wednesday, covered the brilliant 1996-1997, Sid's first season in Spain. And this week, we discussed the frankly bizarre 99-2000 season. Uh, I've been listening back to these um, pods, Sid, ahead of their re-release. Do you know what? They're really good. Yeah. Really good podcasts. So we're happy to share them with... uh, with all of you guys. Um, also, over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP for patrons, we've started a brand new series. It's called Rincon Cultural. Rincon Cultural. I won't sing it because Kitro does it yep. so much better than I ever could. Uh, but we discuss life in Spain, answer questions from patrons. The first episode with Kitro and I is uh, out now. And you'll be looking forward to getting, getting in on the yeah. cultural corner action, Sid, very soon. Absolutely. I love the fact, by the way, that we can do historical revisionism here. You can go back over our previous podcasts. And if they're not very good, just don't re-release them. Pretend we never did just a pretend bad pretend it never podcast. happened. Just only release the good ones. It's like a YouTube reel of our highlights. And we're just smashing in overhead kicks all over the place. Yeah, or like a club which only ever screens and the games in which they win or draw, not yes. in which they lose. But I mean, yeah. who would do that? Who would do no that one, kind of thing? No one would do that. Kind um, of thing. Let's get to the talking points from this weekend in uh, in La Liga. Um, let's start at Samames, I suppose, just because it was yeah. the late game on a on a Sunday. As I say, it finished Athletic Club nil, Barcelona one. Barca are still nine points clear at the top of the table. Thirteen games left now. Um, Sid, is there any league? There probably isn't. Um, isn't any league? Is there? They, they shouldn't be, should they, with this much of a lead? I suppose, look, I'm going to take the coward's option here and say to you, if Barcelona avoid defeat in the Clasico next weekend, there's no league. Because I do think if they lose in the Clasico, it becomes yeah. six points. And it wouldn't only be six points, of course, it would mean that Real Madrid had the head-to-head advantage. So should they be able to draw level with Barcelona, they would win the league. And six points, and you look at it, it's only two games. It's certainly not impossible. Um, but I think if the if the lead manages to stay more than six points... And with a head-to-head advantage, not for Real Madrid, then then I think I think that's the the key. Look, it's very very difficult for Madrid. And a couple of weeks ago, I felt like Madrid might have not quite given up, but just sort of decided, all right, we you know we know where the priorities are. I just wonder if this weekend had been almost anything other than than not necessarily Espanol at home. That 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 would be unfair, but you know, a kind of a relatively comfortable win at home. Whether we might have seen this gap actually get expanded, although of course. You know the, the the conditioning factors of had Madrid lost first, how would Barcelona have then approached San Mamés and so on is, uh, is is difficult to judge. And we'll talk about the Madrid game in a second. In terms of this one, I mentioned that Athletic were a little bit unfortunate. I'm not mm. talking about the the disallowed goal. We'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of how well uh, they played, yeah. because they had Barca on the ropes, and of course uh, Ter Stegen was man of the match in the end. Uh, I saw you yeah. tweeting. I, I saw you tweeting that you think Ter Stegen might be player of the season. Although I do yeah. feel like you said that literally last week about Antoine Griezmann. So, oh, I think Antoine Griezmann is the, is the player playing the best football in Spain by a very long way at the moment. Yeah, playing the best football. But I suppose when we when we get to the end of the season and we decide what the key factors were that decided mm. the way that the domestic season ended, yeah. I think it's a very strong chance that we'll be looking at Ter Stegen and saying he was the most decisive player in Spain this year. Now, I think the player playing the best football is Griezmann. 
And I actually think at the moment, he is a long way ahead of everyone else as well. Mm. And I, look, I realise there's a degree of hyperbole here and you kind of get the last three or four weeks and you think, wow, and you get you get dragged into it. And earlier in the season, we were talking about Fede Valverde and we talked a little bit about Mikel Marino and we talked about Ronald Adaujo in recent weeks. And um, you know we've seen good performances from a handful of players and got very excited about them. But I think the level of performance from Griezmann is so high. But I do think there's a there's a case to be made for, for Ter Stegen. If only, I suppose, to try and apply the corrective, which is that goalkeepers are too often overlooked um that said I think we all were very uh keen to praise Courtois last year who was absolutely ludicrous how good he was just absurd uh, and I think Ter Stegen's season is different to Courtois because I think there isn't quite the same volume of saves and the, the, the quite the same degree of sort of madness of those saves mm. you know of always rescuing his club but it feels like every game there's at least one mm. Doesn't it? It feels like every game there's a there's a there's a stop. There's the everything he does as well beyond beyond just the the saving. And he was vital yesterday. You know what? Funny enough, his best save yesterday I thought was the one that wouldn't have counted anyway, which is the ball drops to is it Nico? I think it's Nico, or is it Iñaki? Can't remember which one of the two Williams brothers it is now. And he dives low to save it, really low, really fast to his right hand, and it's offside anyway because the ball had rebounded off a de- uh, off, off a, an athletic player to. Two Williams who, who then took the shot. And I thought that was an absolutely brilliant save and, and probably the best of them, which wouldn't have counted anyway. But he was hugely important. And I think you're right. I think Athletic were really unlucky. By the way, you said they weren't unlucky in the penalty. I think they are, sorry, in the penalty, in the disallowed goal. Mm. I think they are unlucky on that as well. But I think it is much more about the fact that last 20 minutes of the game, Barcelona were really kind of clinging on a little bit desperately. Mm. Um, and, and Xavi said it after the game to use that great phrase that we love because it doesn't quite translate into English, but it was almost better in English that they suffered. So, and we suffered too much. And I think he's right. They did suffer too much. And this is one of the things that I think we need to remember when we talk about Barcelona's style and the winning 1-0. And there's this been this sort of slightly absurdly overplayed debate in Spain about, oh, it's, a, it's almost like it's a, an affront to their identity to play like this. And and in particular, it's pointed at Xavi because, of course, he's the high priest, if you like, of, of, of a Barcelona philosophy. Mm. But I think, to be fair to Xavi, he doesn't come out of these games and say, God, wasn't that great? He does, <laughs> he, he, he does come no, out of them and say... that would be a level say, of hypocrisy. Uh, yeah, a, yeah, he does. Come, in fairness, he does come out of them and say, this isn't necessarily what I want. Mm. But I value the fact that we can hold on. I value the fact that we can resist. And he often says it's being really conditioned by the opposition and what they're doing. That, that was certainly what he was saying, for example, after the, the Madrid game. He was saying we didn't yeah. go into the Clasico wanting to play like that, but Madrid kind of made us play like that. And I really like that. And one of the reasons I really like that is because I think too rarely do we appreciate that two teams play this game. Uh, now, obviously, in a Clasico, maybe more so because they're two really big teams. But every time that a team like Madrid or Barcelona drops points against a team that's not particularly brilliant the focus is always on what they did wrong and there's never I, I think there's so rarely an appreciation of the fact that it's actually quite difficult to win a football match against a, a, a first division team uh, even the really rubbish ones uh, it can sometimes be quite difficult and so I, I think I, I quite like that discourse that idea that you know it's not just about us we are trying to impose ourselves what that also does of course is it underlines that there, there are still very significant limitations to this Barcelona team. Hmm. A word about the disallowed goal. Um, Iñaki Williams thought that he had equalised in the 87th minute to make it one all. He hadn't. The goal was disallowed uh, because of an Ica Munyain handball. Ernesto Valverde, quite interesting, talking about this after the game, saying uh, for him it's not really about whether it was a handball or not because, I mean, you look at the replay... Well, initially you look at the replay and you couldn't see what had happened. Then you looked at it sort of multiple times, slowed down, and you could see that it had touched Munyain's 
hand. Mm. But Valverde saying, look, for him at least, this isn't football. We shouldn't be going through yeah. with a magnifying glass in slow motion. I, I, and that's, I, feel, I think that's probably a point of view that we have some sympathy with, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is almost exactly what I've said repeatedly uh, about one of my issues with, with VAR. And I've often said it's not for me about the justice or injustice. It's about the way that it changes the nature of the game. And I think there's sometimes, uh, I think VAR was partly founded on a myth, which is that football is desperately unfair. And it was founded on this idea that we really, really need to fix this because terrible things are happening all the time. And I just don't think that was true. And I think there was a failure to appreciate the impact it would have on the game itself. Now, that's not actually as applicable, in fact, I think, to this particular event than to many others. Mm. Um, Because there are, I think, others that slow the game down more than this this did because this is very late on. It's a goal. Uh, It actually didn't take that long to see it. You know, the the pause wasn't that big. But I, I, I really liked Valverde's approach to this. Now... Valverde, and for those of you who say, well, of course he said this, it was against him. Valverde is one of the few managers who will consistently say, remember that I'm speaking for my team. You know, and he's really honest like that. And he's really direct. And he, he'll always say, you know, I think this and the other manager will think the other thing. Why? Because we're, we're interested parties in this. And I think the point he made yesterday was a much more conceptual one. And this is what I always say, you know, when we talk about refereeing decisions. For me, it's so often not about the justice or not, or the which team it's, it, it, it benefits or not. It's about the kind of the conceptual idea of what it is we want the game to be. And I think that was Valverde's point. So is, is this football that five stages before the goal, we go back and a guy with a telescope sees a handball? Now, for what it's worth, I actually think when you watch a replay, it's really clear and it is a handball and it should be disallowed. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, it's the it right decision. Yeah. And, and, and I actually think I've got no doubt whatsoever about that. The only doubt I would have about it, of course, would be about the conception of the VAR as being there for clear and obvious. Now, that is a clear and obvious error if you put to use Valverde's words, a telescope yeah, it on wasn't it. at the time. But if you're just watching a game, it's not. Now, I don't know if just watching a game is justification enough to ignore a mistake, which is clearly a mistake. Mm. But I certainly don't think it's a, a, a terribly egregious error, if you see what I mean. Mm. So in other words, if, if that goal had stood, you say, well, yeah, there was a handball in the build-up, but there's still quite a long way to go. And there's still quite a lot to happen. And, and, I, I don't want that necessarily to sound like I'm being indulgent of mistakes and it's okay and we should just let every decision go because so what? Let's enjoy the football. But I, there's a little bit of me that thinks I'd quite like a little bit of that. Yeah, and I'd quite like a little bit of us not worrying about the minutiae. I think the phrase I've used before, and actually I don't know if this is entirely applicable in this case. In fact, I think it's not applicable in this case. But the phrase I've used before is bureaucratic bullshit. I think sometimes we are creating, if you like, really big match-defining decisions based on really minor things that you can't see without slow motion replay. Now, I still think this one was the right decision. Yeah. But I totally understand the discourse from Valverde in terms of what is it we actually want football to be. Shame for Inyaki. It was, it was a lovely goal and it would have been a special moment as well. Uh, and we love him. It, was, but it wasn't... Uh, yeah, we, we do. And he took it, it very well, which, which, to be fair, fair, he doesn't always. Doesn't often. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, not always, it's not always a great, a great one-on-one finisher. Um, it was dreadful defending by the way from Barcelona obviously they get away with it because of the fact that it's a handball but how quickly they lose the ball how open it is how how easy it was for Iñaki Williams to run through a very straight line in the very middle of the pitch it's not like he came from a different difficult angle to see he went right through the middle um, and, and Barcelona were, that's why I say they're fortunate I don't say they're fortunate because the decision was wrong I say they're fortunate because that was a potentially minor thing that you know just for the, the sake of a couple of inches could have gone a different way 
Uh, the Bernabeu on Saturday, uh, Real Madrid went behind uh, to Espanyol, Joselu's goal early on. Uh, you never really doubted that Madrid were going to come back and, and win this game, though, did no. you? No. No, n- no doubt whatsoever. Do you know, the only time I had doubt, any doubt that Real Madrid would win this was actually the opposite scenario, was when they were 2-1 up with 10 minutes to go. Yeah. And, and Espanyol started to create one or two chances. And you, at that point, I thought, you know, if one of these falls and they score and then Madrid haven't got time to respond. Now, I know there'll be loads of our listeners saying, what do you mean? Madrid always have time to respond. But in a game like this, I feel like had they conceded, because actually I think when, when Asensio scored, it had seemed as likely for us to see a 2-2 as a 3-1 at that point. Mm. And then Asensio did what Asensio does, which is come on... Um, This is going to sound incredibly cruel and I don't intend it to, but come on, sort of not be relevant and then score the goal that ends it all. Shout out to Nacho for his part in that goal, by the way, because it was was, was transformed. He looked like another player altogether. It it was like sort of Marcelo driving forward from left back, cutting inside and then playing playing the pass. Vinicius Junior in the spotlight again. In this game, uh, not just because of the brilliant goal that he scored, he also got a yellow card, really wasn't very happy about it. And then uh, speaking to ESPN after the the game was complaining once again about um, referees, about the way that he is targeted by opposition players and the way that he feels like referees aren't protecting him enough. I thought that was slightly strange in the context of this game because I hadn't really been aware. It, It didn't seem to me like this was a game in which he was fouled a lot. I was surprised by that. No, me too. Um, I mean, obviously, look, we, we have to bear in mind that we watch this game uh, from quite high up. We, you know, we don't feel certainly the now that they've the moved the they moved the press box yeah. at the Bernabeu. We're higher up than we used to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we don't appreciate the impact of those fouls. I suppose we don't have the growing frustration of the of the repetition of those fouls because, of course, he, he gets a lot of fouls. Um, and, and of course we don't have the frustration of the repetition week after week and then the competitive edge of just seeing things from your own point of view I mean he is, he is know, the most fouled player in the Liga and by miles yeah. it's something yes. like he's been fouled 89 times or something like that and the next player I think is Izzy with like 60 odd fouls so it's a yeah. significant yeah. difference yeah it really is and, and, and you know I can understand why that frustrates him I can understand why on an emotional level it, it, it fits in with lots of the other stuff as well and we've talked before about the uh, about the about the way that fans are on his back, and in particular, of course, about the racial abuse. But I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about pulling the two things together too much, if you sort of mean. In terms of the on-pitch um, stuff it, and the off-the-pitch stuff. Yes, yeah. But yeah, because I think there are slightly different processes yeah. going on, but they, they do kind of come together a bit. And I think they certainly come together for him in terms of his experience of this and, and how he feels about it. And, and I would accept that. Um, as I say, because we're not in his shoes and, and we're not being fouled and we're not feeling that frustration. And, you know, if you're a competitor, then you're biased towards your own particular experience. Um, that said, in this particular game, I agree with you. And for what it's worth, by the way, he sort of lay down on the pitch and made a big show of getting a yellow card, hmm. which for me, live in a stadium, was as clear a yellow card as you could wish to see. Yeah. I must confess, though, I'm going to back down because I saw it last night on a replay. It's not as bad as a first thought. Okay. But I, but I did think it was a case of a player pulling another player repeatedly until he fell to the ground. Mm. I watched it last night and thought, actually, it's just a bit of a tug and then he runs alongside it and it's not as much of a pull as it seems. But I didn't think this was a reason to get upset, to be honest. I thought, oh, that definitely could be a yellow card. You know, to, you, you, you definitely did put yourself in a position where you could get it. And then I thought that some of the reaction was overplayed. But again, it's, I suppose it's in the context of everything that, that goes with it for him. Um, but I, I thought he was... I thought he was wrong, actually, slightly wrong in, 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 his, in his response to it post-game. And I realise now, by the way, that by talking about it and talking about it for this long, 
we're sort of giving it the importance, which, which in a way, my argument is that it's sort of not this important. Mm. And so maybe I should shut up now. <laughs> Before we move on from Barca and Madrid, and we should bring you the latest in the Negreira case, uh, which is mm. a very, very big deal indeed. Uh, the end of last week, prosecutors brought charges against Barcelona um, in this case. And one update there that I think is important, because we've been talking about this, Sid, and we've been saying that in terms of the charges levelled at Barcelona, uh, it was essentially about kind of accounting and the suspicion of false accounting. It was, it was financial. We should say that in the language of the charges that prosecutors brought last week, it did explicitly say yeah. in black and white that Barcelona sought... I think favours was the word he used. Or sort of favourable from, refereeing decisions. Yes, favourable refereeing decisions. And so that is is another step on, I guess, in the in the seriousness, in the gravity of this of this case. And the other thing we should say is that uh, Real Madrid over the weekend uh, held a board meeting. They um, approved the club's decision to take part in this case against Barcelona. This is something that La Liga had already said uh, that they would do as well. Basically, Spanish law is quite complicated, but what it means is parties who feel like they've been kind of damaged in in a case can officially take part in a criminal case like this and what it means is they have access to the proceedings so they can um, they can participate they can bring evidence they can hear witnesses they can suggest penalties and they can get a lot of information about the case and the trial uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise yeah essentially they can they can project themselves as 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 interested parties as victims in this case and, and 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 play a part um i i think in terms of the way the case goes it's relatively unimportant that Real Madrid have done that I think it's very significant in terms of in terms of the what would you call it the optics of it all I suppose and 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 I should say John Laporta tweeted over the weekend as well having as you have mentioned been very silent on this and he was going firmly down the line of well look they're all in this against us I think he used the word campaign and he said no surprise and he said that Barcelona were were innocent and would prove their innocence. Yeah, uh, innocent of what we've been accused of. Well, thing is, they've been accused of two or three things, and actually, the evidence is there that they are guilty of some of those things. Now, it's really important that we say this. This is the case being presented by prosecutors to go to court. This is essentially, if you like, the the working hypothesis or the accusation. Yeah. So they have to demonstrate this, of course, for this to go through court, and they have to demonstrate that Barcelona um, sought and then I suppose the next stage would be gained refereeing favours. I think it's very difficult for them to prove that. And there's no evidence in the in the document proving that. No. What there is evidence, of course, of is, and, and this part I think is basically proven already, that they paid the vice president of the referees committee. Now, And that in itself is bad. And that in itself should, I think, should be explained. Obviously, there will now be legal proceedings, so let's see what happens. And that has led them to suspicion, because of all the, the, the other elements of, of evidence, of the fact that these payments were made from their point of view because of, of a desire to have influence with referees. Now, obviously, there's different ways of looking at influence. Yeah. Sort of an implicit influence over referees. Yeah, because, there's kind of well, soft, the, soft power versus hard power. I, kind I, of having I an think, influence overall in terms of which referees referee. You know, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to be concrete influence in terms it, of decisions it, in games going a different ex- way. Exactly, which is almost impossible to prove. I think to, to the exercise of power is difficult. I mean, there's a, there's a lovely Spanish line, I think I might have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that I, I, I read the other day, and I can't remember who'd, who'd come up with it. I don't know if it's a set phrase in Spanish, to be honest. It's the first time I'd heard it. But I think it's a really interesting way of putting it. It says, power is not exercised, it's, it, it's in tuye. What's that mean? It's, it's implied. Yeah. In other words, you don't necessarily need to impose power. It's implied. And so that that will be the case. But I think that I don't know that that's going to be enough to stand up legally. Now, of course, you look at these 
elements of this and you think, well, what were the payments for if it's not for that? But you can't just make that assumption, certainly not in a legal case. Mm. You, know, you can talk about what it may mean. You can talk about where it goes. But I do think that what Barcelona have done that is basically accredited now, i.e. they paid, they paid Negreda, is, itself, is in itself sufficiently serious yeah. that, 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 that there will have to be some sort of punishment. Um, and I th- honestly think as well that the management of it from Barcelona, from a communication point of view, has been surprising, to say the least. I think if you have the argument that this is going to be a legal case and therefore, of course, we don't say anything because it's a legal case, then to be honest, I don't understand why you don't come out and say that. Look, this is yeah. a legal case. We are innocent. We will fight our innocence. We will, we'll, we will fight to demonstrate our innocence. And we can't say any more because it's a legal case. Instead of this thing of, oh, we're going to do a press conference. And last week, they, they did this, uh, Laporta did this event with the um, equestrian circle of Barcelona. I mean, always, so, oh, always first with the breaking news, the equestrian circle, aren't they? <laughs> quite bizarre. And it's, it's, well, we're going to do a press conference. I mean, it could have been today, but I'm here with you. Well, do it as well then. I mean, if, if you genuinely are doing it today, which of course you, you're not, um, there, there are, there are, you know, this whole case is really genuinely very, very bad. And and you're right. In a way, what we what we read in that legal document is actually not anything beyond what we thought before, except the explicit nature of saying we think you were trying to get referring favors. But just reading it in black and white is, and, and reading it in a legal document yeah. with one or two flaws in it. By the way, they made a couple of mistakes in that document, and I thought, well, that doesn't augur particularly well for your case the dates of when people dates of when people held certain posts are slightly wrong um i hope, hope barca's lawyers are listening to this they'll be making notes from well you, i mean i i assume yeah. i assume they will be yeah not listening yeah, yeah. to this i mean um, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's a, it's a must uh, listen every monday i assume they will be going for that document really really carefully that said of course this is well the other thing we have to remember in this is that in a way this is no more than a kind of a preliminary thing to say to the courts this is the case we're going to try and bring before you this, this, this isn't by any means the end of the investigation. This isn't by any means, right, we go to court on the basis of this document and we fight tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. Let's get back to the football. Uh, which result was bigger at the bottom of the table? Sid, Valencia 1, Osasuna 0 or Sevilla 2, Almeria 1? Or it's sort of both of them, isn't it, really? Yeah, I would say Sevilla, if only because it's the second of the two. So it has the cumulative effect of the first mm. one, if you sort of mean. But they are both gigantic. I mean, look, there's one way of putting it as well as the one that I said earlier, but between 5 and 5.45, Sevilla went from 19th to 13th. There's another way of putting it, which is Sevilla and Valencia, because of the nature of all the results this weekend, gained at least two points on six teams. So the two biggest teams in Spain, the two that you think, wow, if they went down, it would be amazing, were the only two to win of the teams in relegation trouble, apart from if you can count Celta, and I'm not sure you mm. can anymore, but you know, you, I think you probably definitively can't now. Um, they were the only two to win, so you've got those two teams picking up at least two points on six other teams. Obviously, they picked up three points on some teams, but no one else won. And you mentioned Celta there. You said that you've been uh, you've been writing about them. Uh, what was your what was your focus on on Celta's win over Rio? Is it uh, is it about Barry? Yeah, I mean, and just... sort of reasserting himself as I think as you put it as, as the king. Not 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 quite reasserting himself, but but it's essentially what you what you were saying. This idea that that you know we've we've been looking at the last month at Gabby Gabri Vega, um, who's been yeah, absolutely... sorry Gary Gary. We, we, he's, he's, he has now been christened. We established Gary, this, I think, last week. Gary, Gary Vega. Gary and Barry. Um, I, I don't know if I told you this at the time. I'm pretty sure I did. But earlier this season, there was a moment um, on Radio Marca when when Gabri Vega was being interviewed, and he made the comment that you know when I grow up, I'll be able to tell my kids that I play with Iago Aspas. And for reasons that I don't fully fully understand, the the, the commentator, the, the, well, the radio presenter who was on the other end of the line, 
sort of said to him, well, yeah, you know, you could, you could name your kids after him. So that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice name. And I was thinking, he's right, you know, Barry Vega is a great name. <laughs> Barry Vega. It sounds yeah. like some sort of um, soul singer or something, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, so the, the, the point really is that the, the, the Gabbardy Vega, I think, has been genuinely special this year. And I think he's unusual. I think he breaks the mould a little bit because we think about Spanish midfielders as all touch and technique. And he yeah, has this... He's, he's a bit muscular and, a, and sort of powerful. And do you, know, do you know who he reminded me of at the weekend when he went off on that run after only 30 seconds through the middle of the pitch? Go on. He reminded me of Gascoigne. Ooh, interesting. The ball from deep, the technique, but also the physicality to have people kind of, you know, to pull away yeah. from people and to have people sort of bounce off you. And they didn't in this particular run, but, but to pull away from people, he, he did. And, and then the, the, the quality of the pass. And actually, to be honest, Barry really ballsed it up. It, it was a good pass and he really should have scored. And that's on 35 seconds, I think it is. I've got it written down somewhere. It won't surprise you. Um, yes. And then he has a shot that's tipped away from the goalie on four minutes 30. And this first five minutes of the game, you think, God, this guy's He's like a colossus. He's sort of striding through this game. And then, in truth, he drifted out of it and Barry took over. And I think one of the things that, that I was kind of trying to conceptualise this today is this idea that you have... Um, I think at Celta, we've had a situation, haven't we, over the last 10 years, where at times it's felt like a one-man team. And at mm. last, you've got two of them. Maybe not for very long, because Barry's coming to the end. And maybe the fact that Barry's coming to the end is what enables another player to come through now. And, you know, not to find Barry in the way if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that's part of it. And then I just also quite like, to, I'll be honest with you, I quite like the, the quirky element of that phrase that we use in Spain, or they use all the time, people in Spain, where your player comes through and he's, he's the new this or he's the new that. And, you know, this is the new Aspas, just as there's been the new this and that. And we always say they've got to write their own history. Well, given that this guy is studying journalism, he really can write his own history. I, <laughs> I, I, I would like to think at some point. Um, and I think Gabri Vega is really special. I genuinely do. Now, obviously, normal caveat alert, loads of good players come through, they then don't step up, but there's something different about him that, that, that I really, really like. I want to correct you, Sid. He's not special, he's rubbish. We've established this. Oh, Any of course, Premier yes. League scouts who are listening, he's no good, he's f- deeply flawed yeah. as a player. Any comparison to Gascoigne is, is erroneous. And you should definitely not um, take him away from Celta. In fact, the way to do this is to say that he's not rubbish. He's absolutely brilliant. But he is just like Barry in that when he leaves Galicia, yeah. he yeah. will be terrible. He, don't let him take a corner. Whatever you do, do not let him take he a corner. He will lose all you. of his superpowers. No, no, he has to stay exactly he where he is. He has to stay somewhere in Pontevedra. There's something or, about the, the Galician seafood or the sea yeah. air or something yeah. which means that it, his powers are only, only effective at home. I mean, for what it's worth, I think he'll end up at Real Madrid rather than in England anyway. Um, uh, there was a nice line from, from Barry from, a, I don't know when, it was about a month or so ago. As you can imagine, I've been going through sort of the comments and the interviews over the last month or so. And there's a nice line from Barry, which is something like, I hope he stays here for a long time, but if he is going to go, at least leave many millions behind. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, before we wrap this up, Sid, a quick word about uh, Segunda Eibar are now top of the table after they beat Burgos 1-0 on Saturday. Uh, they're a point ahead of Las Palmas, who drew 2-2 with Malaga. And then just a point separate Levante in third, Granada in fourth, and Alaves in fifth. Oviedo uh, drew 0-0 with Tenerife on Friday. Uh, they are six points above the relegation zone, Sid. I'm starting to get a little bit nervous, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I mean, you're right. I, I didn't... So. I, I, I genuinely didn't think it was possible that Oviedo would get dragged into a relegation battle. I knew we were dull, not really much fun to watch, uh, not scoring basically any goals. We have not had a single game this season 
in which more than one goal has been scored by Oviedo. Not very many games in which more than one goal has been scored by the other team either. Really not a good team to watch. But I didn't think it would lead to a situation in which I would genuinely worry about survival. And I'm, I'm starting to. Yeah. It's a big week this week, Seeds. Uh, lots uh, going on. We've got uh, Real Madrid against Liverpool in the Champions League on uh, Wednesday, the, the second leg of that tie. And then on Thursday, uh, we've got Europa League and Europa Conference League action. We've got Fenerbahce, Sevilla, Betis United, La Real Roma and Villarreal Andelect. Um, are you going to be able to get to any of those games? I will be at the Bernabeu on Wednesday and at the Benito Villamarín on Thursday. Excellent. Well, listen, I will see you at the Bernabeu on Wednesday. Uh, lots coming up uh, this week uh, for patrons. As always, we'll have a Q&A pod. Uh, we'll have a bonus pod. And as I mentioned, look out here on the Monday podcast feed for another episode of our classic TSFP Presents series, uh, Super Seasons. Uh, but for now, from Sid and I, bye-bye. Cheerio. Cheerio.